bitch, bitch, bitch. You're ugly. <laughs> we ain't taking him to a hospital. If we don't, he's gonna die. We ain't taking him to a hospital. If we don't, he's gonna die. And I'm very sad about that, but some fellas are lucky and some ain't. What the fuck you touching me for, man? <laughs> I'll show you who you're fucking with. You wanna shoot me, you little piece of shit? Go ahead, take a shot. Fuck you, White. I didn't create this situation, I'm dealing with it. You're acting like a first-year fucking thief. I'm acting like a professional. They get him, they can get you. They get you, they get closer to me, and that can't happen. And you're looking at me like it's my fault? I didn't tell him my name, I didn't tell him where I was from. Shit, 15 minutes ago, you almost told me your name. Your buddy there is stuck in a situation you created. So if you wanna throw bad looks somewhere, throw him in a mirror. You kids shouldn't play so rough. Somebody's gonna start crying. It's the blood. Shit, kicking me. What happened to you? I figured you were dead. Hey, you okay? Did you see what happened to Blue? We didn't know what happened to you and Blue. That's what we were wondering about. What? Come on, man. Look, Brown is dead. Orange got it in the belly. He's Enough! Still alive. Enough! You better start talking, asshole. Because we got shit we need to talk about. We're already freaked out. We need you acting freaky like we need a fucking bag on our hip. Okay, let's talk. We think we got a rat in the house. I guarantee we got a rat in the house. What makes you say that? Is that supposed to be funny? Look, we think this place ain't safe. This place just ain't secure anymore. We're leaving. You should go with us. Nobody's going anywhere. Piss on this fucking turd. We're out of here. Don't take another step, Mr. White. Fuck you, maniac!
What's up, everybody? This is Johnny Wu. This is Wu's Mystery Box Podcast. And what we do here is whatever the hell I want to do. This is my podcast. This is my world. And what I have decided to focus my podcast on now, since I tried the news thing, it didn't work out as well as I thought it would. Uh, but that's because I've, I'm only one guy, and one guy can't really do a show by himself uh, if he's going to be trying to do news and commentary on uh, different different things that are out in the world. So what I've decided to do is go ahead and focus primarily on something that I'm very passionate about and something that I think that I could carry a show on by myself, and that is the world of music. I have a somewhat eclectic taste when it comes to music. I essentially classify my interest as basically anything that hits my ears the right way is what I'm into. And as you can tell by the first song that I chose to play, my interests are usually pretty much towards heaviness. That was Lamb of God with Again We Rise. It's a good song. Um... If you like that sort of thing, most of you, if you're on my f- Facebook friends after I post this who choose to decide to listen to it, are probably not going to like that song. But, hey, you're listening to my podcast. It's my music. It's what I want you to listen to, and I wanted you to listen to that song. So let's do a rundown of shit that I'm going to go ahead and talk about on the show. Um, I'm going to do news first. That's the news for this week, which is the week of November 16th to 22nd, which is the week before Thanksgiving. The second segment that I've decided to do on the show is a segment that I like to call Second Chance. And the first band that I'm dedicating to it is Aerosmith. And basically the idea behind said segment is for me to take a listen to things that I don't really like and to more or less try and give it a uh, second opinion or a less biased opinion. Then we're going to go through and we are going to review the Billboard Top 20 off of the Hot 100 charts for this past week. And then our final segment of the day is going to be basically a task that I've chosen to undertake myself, which is to take a look at the Rolling Stone Top 500 Albums of All Time. It's straight on the Rolling Stone website. All you got to do if you want to follow along while we do it is go to Google and put in Rolling Stone Top 500, and you'll find the list of the 500 albums uh, that Rolling Stone has listed as the Top 500 Albums of All Time. Uh, I guess what they got to do was they got several artists and music journalists to compile lists of albums, and they went through these uh, experts, I guess you'd call them, list, and they went ahead and, I guess, whatever wh- whoever vote got the most votes, kind of, that's the numbered placement. So we've decided to go ahead and take a look at that and we're going to start off with the number 500 album which is an album by a band called outcast if you can call it a band i guess it's a rap duo more than a band and the album is going to be aquamini and then uh like i said as long as we can keep this going if we're not doing it in this format we might be doing it in a different format but the first album we're starting with is 500 and we'll go to one 
And then if we can continue that far, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. So the first segment that I've decided to do is to do the news for this week. And what I've done is gone through various music-related websites and taken a look at articles that I think are interesting. And you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you're listening, it would be best to play along and act like you're interested. The first article I have is that uh, following a week-long residency by the Foo Fighters on uh, The Late Show with David Letterman, Metallica finished a tenure on Craig Ferguson's Late Late Show. Uh, it's a late-night show that runs on CBS uh, after, immediately after Letterman. And here are the songs that they played. And I posted an article on Facebook. I, I posted my commentary on Facebook about it. I'll get into that in a little bit. But here's the songs they decided to play. On Monday, they chose to play Hit the Lights, which is off Kill 'Em All. On Tuesday, they decided to play Fuel, which is off a of Reload. Wednesday, they decided it was For Whom the Bell Tolls, which is off a of Ride the Lightning. It's one of like three good songs on that album. Thursday, they chose, I guess, probably the song that is most identified with them, and that's Enter Sandman. Friday, they chose Sad But True. The reason why I bring this up is because it's immediately following the Foo Fighters' week-long tenure on Letterman, and I think what the Foo Fighters did was the Foo Fighters decided to show, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand with the Foo Fighters' current project, that Sonic Highways thing, that's on HBO at the moment. I'm waiting until it comes out on DVD so that I can go ahead and own it physically and watch it whenever the hell I want. Uh, I don't I don't really have cable where I live. I live in the middle of the woods, and uh, I kind of live an Appalachian-style life, even though I don't live in the mountains. But basically, with this Sonic Highways thing, if you followed my podcasting in any way, shape, or form... I used to do a, a podcast called First State Snobbery with uh, my current ex-girlfriend. And uh, it's a music-related podcast. If you want to look for it on iTunes, it's probably a good idea to do so because there's been some rumblings that it might be restarted uh, with the same co-host. And we will be approaching it as a podcast, not as a part of a relationship. That's a whole separate story for a whole nother day. Anyway, basically, we covered the story on that podcast, and it's Sonic Highways is Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters' little travel from city to city thing and do songs that are inspired by each city. That's what the album that's being released is basically on, and it was a good idea. Um, It was an interesting idea, and it it kind of uh, shows the Foo Fighters' relevancy. Uh, What they chose to do when they were on Letterman is pretty much out of the five days they were doing it. They did four songs that were covers and one original song. Brilliant move. In my opinion, the song, the Foo Fighters, the songs, the Foo Fighters did. They did war pigs by black Sabbath on Monday, kick it out by heart on Tuesday, Polk salad, Annie, uh, they had Tony Joe White help them out on that. They did Cheap Tricks, Stiff Competition on Thursday, and they did Something for Nothing, which is an original song on Friday. And by doing the covers, it was 
in my opinion, it kind of goes hand in hand with their project, their current project that they've released. They're showing tracks that have inspired them to continue forward in the same uh, tradition, essentially. Uh, the Black Sabbath cover cover interests me specifically because Black Sabbath is my favorite band and War Pigs is a great song. If you haven't heard it, you should give the Foo Fighters version a shot. They had some help from several different artists. They had a country guy help them out with War Pigs. I can't remember his name, but it was a decent job on it. Uh, they had Hart help them out with the Hart song. They had uh, a guy from Cheap Trick come out and help them with the Cheap Trick song. Uh, I'm sorry because I don't like Cheap Trick, and if I if I'm disinterested, I'm not going to know the name of the person. I think it's Rick Nielsen was the guy's name. But I felt that it made the Foo Fighters more relevant because what they did was they tied in their current project with what they were doing on Letterman and what airs on Letterman comes on immediately after the Sonic Highways documentary. Uh, I guess it's a docu-miniseries on HBO. And I felt that it was very interesting and very savvy what the Foo Fighters had done there, where they essentially followed up Sonic Highways on HBO with an appearance on CBS while performing songs that inspired them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was a brilliant move on Dave Grohl's part, and it, in my opinion, shows how relevant Dave Grohl is and how kind of ever-expanding the Foo Fighters are. I'm not even a big Foo Fighters fan. I know my ex-girlfriend was a huge Foo Fighters fan, and she was all in on Foo Fighters, everything Foo Fighters. But I, I will tell you this much. I do think very highly of Dave Grohl because Dave Grohl is a kind of a, a punk rock guy at heart who doesn't give a shit about what other people are, basically about what other people think of what he's doing. He just kind of does, and it kind of works out in his favor because it, just how it is, if you believe in something enough, then the progress you make in in that area will at the very least be respected, whether it, it's high selling or not. But Dave Grohl has been able to make a living out of it since Nirvana. So Metallica really didn't take that opportunity here. They pretty much just covered some classic song. They just did their classic songs except for fuel, which is just a piece of garbage. I can't stand anything after load uh, the album between the albums load and uh, their most recent album death magnetic you might as well act like that shit don't exist metallica because nobody likes it uh, your fans who have been with you since god since master of puppets and discover the earlier stuff but yet continued forward with you up through the black album and kind of were like well i there's some ballads here but i, I could still deal with this yeah, they totally abandon you during Reload and during uh, St. Anger. Like, it's so bad I had trouble remembering the name. St. Anger essentially was an, was an attempt by Metallica to compete with Nu Metal, and Nu Metal kicked Metallica's ass at the time. Uh, but it, I, there were two good songs. I mean, Metallica's good for at least two good songs on every album. But two good songs ain't going to do a damn bit of difference when you've got classic albums in your rep repertoire uh, in order to keep some uh, some faith, some goodwill with your fans. They came out with that uh, movie recently. I, I think it was called... They had a documentary, but then they went and they did an actual movie that had a plot and stuff to it. Like a, It was a concert, but then in in the concert there was a plot line 
and they lost a shit ton of money because nobody went to see it because everybody's essentially to the point where Metallica been there, done that Metallica kind of, they were the Kings of thrash at one point and then they outgrew thrash. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for them. Their last album, death magnetic though, if you're into classic Metallica, death magnetic is a really good album. I just, uh, I, I believe that it's too little too late. Now, speaking of Metallica, there's one guy in this world who thinks that the singer rhythm guitarist James Hetfield is more hated than he is. That guy is Nickelback's Chad Kroger. According to an article that I read, this is this dummy's quote. Mike, who is uh, Chad's brother and is the bassist for Nickelback, hangs out with James Hetfield a lot in Maui. The two of them are hanging out a lot together, and right when you think that you're the only one who gets it, the backlash, Mike's like, oh no, James pretty much thinks the entire world hates him. I'm like, really? Suddenly I don't feel so bad anymore. Chad Kroger, you're a dumbass. First of all, if James feels that way, James is sadly mistaken. The world doesn't hate James Hetfield. James Hetfield put his business out there in the documentary for Metallica that uh, I think it was called Some Kind of Monster. Don't hold me to that. I don't remember what the hell the thing is. It was a good documentary, but I don't remember what the hell the name of it is. It kind of represents more or less the worst of Metallica at the time. James isn't the one hated out of that band. The one that's hated out of that band is the one that opened his mouth about Napster and the one that made essentially himself the face of the band in the wake of the success of Napster. And that man is Lars Ulrich. Yeah, Lars, with the skullet, you're the most hated person in that band. It ain't James Hetfield. So the only person that's as equally hateable as Chad Kroger, in my opinion, is Lars Ulrich. Not to mention the fact that Lars Ulrich's drums, in starting in St. Anger, started to sound like he was just beaten on a bunch of trash cans in an alleyway somewhere. It was terrible, terrible drumming on St. Anger. Not very good at all. So, Chad Kroger, guess what, pal? You're still the most hated person, I think, in the music industry. And the only second, maybe, is Lars Ulrich. All right, moving along. Revolver Magazine has decided it's time to release their best albums of the year list. And uh, Revolver Magazine is more or less a kind of mainstream rock related. Uh, well, I mean, they I guess they attempt to review heavy metal and stuff as well. But for the most part, it's there's they like sway back and forth between mainstream rock and uh, kind of what's hot in terms of heavy metal. And they have an interesting list here for 2014. Their number one album is the new Slipknot album, which is 0.5 The Grey Chapter. The reason why it's entitled that is because, from if I'm not mistaken, I've not heard the album because I don't like Slipknot. But I believe that Paul Gray, who was the most recently deceased member of that band, was their number five. It's nine guys with numbers, blah, 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 etc., etc. Their number two album is At The Gates, At War With Reality. Their number three album is Of Mice and Men, Restoring Force. Of Mice and Men are not a terrible band. I saw them when they were on tour with Thrice, 
but it's nothing that I would pay money necessarily to see again. Their number four album is Linkin Park's The Hunting Party, which, to be honest, is not a great album. I listened to it for my old podcast, and I wasn't that impressed. It wasn't the worst album I'd ever heard, but it wasn't the greatest. Motionless and White is at number five with Reincarnate. Uh, Behemoth with The Satanist at number six. Yeah, some of you guys on Facebook would never listen to that. Mastodon, Once More Around the Sun at number seven. I'm not surprised because Mastodon has some really great, critically acclaimed music. If you're into metal, if you're into heavier rock music, give some Mastodon a chance. You probably won't be disappointed. It took me a little bit to get into Mastodon, but once I listened to Leviathan, I was all in. Judas Priest at number 8 with Redeemer of Souls. Machine Head with Bloodstone and Diamonds at number 9. I have that album. I am looking forward to listening to the whole album because in my opinion, Machine Head is putting out some of the greatest... Uh, well, no, I don't want to say greatest. They're putting out some of the best mainstream metal that's on the scene right now. Number 10 is Every Time I Die with From Parts Unknown. Godflesh at number 11. A World Lit by Only Fire is the name of the album. Here we go with some sketchy stuff that's not really metal. Number 12, The Pretty Reckless with Going to Hell. Uh, Killer Be Killed, which is metal, with their self-titled album at number 13. Number 14, Chino from the Deftones Side Project Crosses with their self-titled album, which is Crosses. Number 15, Black Label Society with Catacombs of of the Black Vatican. Excuse me. That's a pretty decent album. There's not much by Black Label Society that I won't listen to, but then again, I'm a huge Ozzy fan, and I really rely on Zach Wilde a lot when it comes to guitars. Uh, He's a very solid, solid musician, and the fact that he plays as well as he does, and now he's singing along with it too, it's really, really brilliant stuff. And his version, his solo version uh, on the... I believe it's the first or second Black Label Society album of No More Tears. I think it's like a bonus track or a surprise track on the first Black Label Society album. His solo version of No More Tears is really, really damn good if you are into that type of thing. Number 16 is the Black Veil Brides with their self-titled album. Number 17, Body Count with Manslaughter. It's good to see Ice-T is still willing to put out metal. Uh, Good for you, Ice-T. Number 18 is Suicide Silence with You Can't Stop Me. That sounds... Just the name of the album sounds lame. Number 19 is Godsmack with 1,000 horsepower or it's 1,000 HP, whatever. Godsmack, I'm sorry, guys. You've been weak since the third album. Uh, And number 20 album is Trypticon with Milana... Chesmata. Don't know. Sounds black metal to me. I'm out. So that's that. Then, my next article. Uh, this is one I really didn't want to do, guys. They say what's old is new again. And such seems to be the case for Bob Geldof. Because he's decided to re-record Do They Know It's Christmas? which was out originally in the early to mid-80s. We're going to go ahead and play a little excerpt of it. If it'll play, if I remember to turn the device up. 
So yeah, I'm sure you guys remember that song from the early to mid-80s, which was a song that was essentially dedicated to stomping out hunger worldwide. Well, they've decided, Bob Geldof specifically has decided that it's time to revisit the old Do They Know It's Christmas song, and they decided this time to focus in on Ebola, because Ebola is killing people left and right in Africa. And in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Fill your arms around the world at Christmas time. But say a prayer and pray for the other ones at Christmas time. So yeah, that's what that is. Uh, I saw a story where evidently they had asked Adele to do it, and Adele decided not to, but Adele's management is saying that uh, she gave monetarily towards some kind of charity related to Ebola. Whatever. Who cares? Um, I think it's it's interesting. Uh, I think Bob Geldof's heart is in the right place. I just don't think that the song is that great to continuously kind of be rehashing. Even if it is 30 years ago that the damn song came out in the first place. Uh, music is just a different animal nowadays. And I don't think you got the star power like you had in the 80s to really make a difference. Plus, while I understand that Ebola is a big deal over in Africa, I recently saw a map of the countries that are affected by Ebola. And essentially, there are three countries. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which three countries, but they're three small countries on the west coast of Africa, essentially. The rest of Africa, you do not see Ebola. So, eh. eh. I'm not I'm not discounting the the uh, the death rate that Ebola causes. I mean, Ebola is a nasty way to die just from everything that I've read about it. I even believe that I in my last podcast that I did, I even did some articles about Ebola that I went ahead and played for the podcast's uh, listening audience, which is probably like two. I didn't even check the numbers on it because I was kind of disappointed in the way that it turned out. Anyway, I'm not saying it's not a shitty way to die because it totally sounds like a shitty way to die. What I'm saying is I don't think that it should be our top priority. We're pretty much already working on it, Bob Geldof. We pretty much are are trying to get shit under control. We've had more people that have been married to Kim Kardashian than have died of Ebola here in the U.S. I'm not saying it's not a worthwhile cause. What I'm saying is I'm honestly not that concerned with it. So... With that, I'm done with the news. I'm going to go ahead and take a little bit of a break. I'm going to let you guys listen to a little uh, song while I take my break. And then we'll be right back with the top 20. So thank you guys very much for listening.
Thanks, guys, for bearing with me. I went ahead and took my little break, and uh, I accidentally said the wrong thing to you guys. I said that we were going to go ahead and cover the Billboard Top 20, and what I like to do is I like to kind of format my shows kind of old, new, old, new, and uh, or new, old, new, old in this case. I did new news, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do old, uh, I guess, like I said, new old new old new news and then old album reviews my first uh second chance can what i decided to do i went to facebook and this idea that i had was see i like to torture myself i like to take stuff that i don't like and force myself to listen to it and one of the bands that i have always thought has been kind of placed higher in the echelon of things than they deserve to be is Aerosmith. I think that uh, while I, I can see the value in Aerosmith, I can see that Aerosmith serves its purpose to a degree. In my opinion, with Aerosmith, they're just not as good as they're cracked up to be. They're just not, in my opinion. So what I decided to do was go album by album by whatever artist it is that I'm focusing on and kind of reevaluate my stance on that artist. And I guess by the time we get to the most recent Aerosmith album, I guess what I'll do is give kind of my comprehensive opinion. But what I decided to do was kind of give an opinion on each album. And that way I can more or less decide... Uh, if album for album the band is any good versus just my overall opinion. Because I'm pretty dismissive. I can be pretty quick to dismiss stuff that I just am not into. And so with Aerosmith, they went ahead and did the right thing. And they called their first album Aerosmith. In the fir- My opinion on Aerosmith, before I started off, is that, uh, again, they've kind of been correlated to the American version of Led Zeppelin but I find Steven Tyler to be a bit pompous and that kind of rubs me the wrong way and I think a lot of Aerosmith is just two seventies at times like if you can define a decade in my opinion that's what Aerosmith does they kind of define the 70s and kind of even a desperate attempt to clutch on to the 70s at times which they did when they did their big comeback albums. Uh, their comeback started with Pump 
well, I mean, I guess it started before Pump with Permanent Vacation, but Pump kind of really sealed the deal for them, and then they had Get a Grip, which was a huge album. Um, but I always, and, and don't get me wrong, I mean, at the time, I was a sucker for Aerosmith, and I bought Get a Grip, and I, you know, the Alicia Silverstone and uh, Liv Tyler thing was like, whoa, okay, these old dudes and these hot chicks, I, I, I could see that. But uh, then you kind of look at Liv Tyler and you're like, nah, you look a lot like the lead singer. Oh, shit, you're the lead singer's daughter. This is kind of gross. And then, you know, they kind of uh, ha- had curtailed again with the follow-up to Get a Grip. Get a Grip was a solid album. I can't, I can't lie. I had it on cassette, and I, I probably wore the shit out. Uh, and then once I got rid of my cassette, once I started buying CDs, I, I don't, I never got rid of my cassettes. I just kind of never did anything with them. Uh, and they just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. But anyway, Aerosmith overrated. Tis my opinion. First album is self-titled. First track on the first album is called Walk in the Dog. Sounds a little bit like this. So, Walking the Dog. Um, one big thing I noticed about this song was that there's flute in it. Right, reminded me a bit of Jethro Tull. I do like the main riff in the song. You could tell it's blues-rooted. It's kind of raw. I didn't think this was a bad song at all, but you can really tell how fresh Steven Tyler's voice is. It's super young. And, of course, that kind of, uh, the part that I faded out at, that wicka, 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 wicka. I'm a sucker for a scratchy guitar, where you can, like, literally hear the fingers on the strings. I'm a sucker for that. Um, what I decided to do was kind of go, either it's a good song, a bad song, or I'm just kind of met on it. So I did, like, a check minus, and then, like, a weird, uh... It's a it's a wiggly equal sign is what I would call it. It's a uh, roundabout sign, uh, which to me kind of equates to yeah, it's roundabout this. Uh, this song, Walking the Dog, I gave a check. I I felt this song. It was not terrible. It was not it was not the worst song I could have listened to. So then we moved to the second song, which is called Somebody, and it sounds a little something like this. So somebody track number two, I felt it was very kind of, uh, it kind of really fits Aerosmith's, uh, what you would call formula, I guess you would say it's very, it's very Aerosmith in my opinion. It's not horrible. It's not the worst track ever, but I really dug walking the dog more walking the dog more. Uh, it's definitely, in my opinion, it's a definitely an album track. It's not a, a radio single that I, if it were me that I wouldn't release, but, uh, I felt like the riff was really more or less kind of generic and it never really went anywhere. I felt like there was something 
there was some kind of a punch missing from this song. I gave this song a minus. It just was not was not my thing. So we moved to the next song. And to be honest, I knew that this song was on this album. And I highly anticipated liking the song because I do like this song. I think it's a classic song. Track number three is Dream On. So look, what can I say about this song that hasn't been said better by somebody else who's more uh, acclimated to music? It's a great song. I mean, this song this song in and of itself would make you not regret buying the album if you bought the album. It's a great song. I mean, it's a classic song. There's no denying that Dream On is probably the greatest song in Aerosmith's repertoire. I gave this song a check plus. Um, it's just what, it's just one of the greatest rock songs ever written. I get goosebumps every time that I listen to it and it's a given. I will get goosebumps if I listen to it. And to be, to be fair, if they're, if they're able to write a song this good, it warrants them having a career to even trying to follow it up. Uh, dream on is a definite plus in Aerosmith's favor. The next song, track number four, it's called One Way Street. It sounds a little something like this. All right, so that is One Way Street, track number four. It's different from Dream On, that's for sure. It's very bluesy. It has a very bluesy feels feel to it. It sounds like ZZ Top at times, but ZZ Top does ZZ Top better than Aerosmith does. It's definitely another album track. You heard the harmonica. It's really weird for me to hear harmonica in an Aerosmith song, uh, but it really does show their blues roots. It also sounds a lot like Bad Company in places. Um, kind of by the end of the song, it really seems to find itself. But to have to listen to like four minutes before it really gets somewhere, it's really tough for me. I gave it a minus on this track, particularly. Um, again, it's just like a, another Aerosmith song. And it sucks to say it, but that's what it is. I mean, they've had two good songs so far, so maybe we'll be better. Track number five is Mama Kin. Well, you always got your tail on the way. Shooting fire for 
track number five. This is a song you could tell they really, really gelled on. And if I remember correctly, I heard Joe Perry on a couple of interviews, specifically with Howard Stern and with uh, Opie Radio or the uh, Opie with Jim Norton show. And he, uh, I, I believe I specifically remember him specifically talking about Mama Kin with Howard because Howard would do essentially what I'm doing and play clips of the song, but he would have Joe Perry talk about the songs, which was interesting. Um, I didn't realize how much upheaval there was in Aerosmith, which really gave me more or less an impetus to focus on kind of uh, reviewing Aerosmith as a band. This is a song you can really tell they tried to get right. So it's really early in the in the uh, band's career, probably. I, d- I believe this is a cover song. Overall, they did a really great job on it because the sound is really tight. They're really tight uh, in terms of being a band. It's kind of heavy. It's blues-rooted. And it, to be honest, you could tell it's a live staple that the band had done, uh, probably over and over to death, and probably really beat beat the hell out of this song on the road. Um, I gave it a check. I, I liked the song. I can't lie and say that I didn't like the song. It, it's, I believe that it's even still to this day a live staple. So let's move on to number six, which is called Write Me. Alright, track number six really is the song I think that fits my expectations out of this band where they're kind of uh, just, it's uh, not a great song in my opinion. Um, I gave it a minus. I felt like it was a bit of a cluster. I felt like it was kind of all over the place. I kind of like that each member more or less comes in one by one, but it's definitely an album track. Um, I probably would have, if I were Aerosmith, if I were in the band, I would, every time they brought up playing this song in concert, I would have said, yeah, let's not do right me tonight. Let's just kind of go from, uh, one song into dream on, and then we can kind of be done. I didn't like this song. In my opinion, this epitomizes what I don't like about Aerosmith, where they kind of fit, figure that every song is knock it out of the park, and in this specific song's case, it's not out of the park at all. Next song, number seven, moving out. All right, moving out automatically starts off with kind of a unique swagger to it. Um, there's two separated audio tracks that kick in. One is in the left channel, the other's in the right channel. It kind of really uh, tingles you in the right places. 
again, this is another song where Tyler's youth, Steven Tyler's youth really shows and his voice sounds so fresh. Um, it's got something there. It's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like this is a band that's still in its primordial state. Uh, but once it matures, once it turns into not just a fetus, but a full grown adult, they're going to kick your ass. It makes for a terrific live song, I'm sure. And there are other bands that have done this song and just really punched you in the face with it. As a matter of fact, one of those versions of this song I'm going to play at the end of this podcast because it's a version of an Aerosmith song that I think is better than the original. And the last song, I gave it a check. By the way, if you're keeping track, I gave Moving Out a check. The last song is a song that's called Make It. And it's track number eight on the album, and it sounds like this. So what I thought of this song was that it was pretty ballsy for being the last track of an album. It's like they were throwing their mission statement out there. And in my opinion, maybe it would have been a better choice for a first song uh, as an opener or even just kind of opening the uh, a concert with it even. I do dig the riffs of the song. I like the sound of the song. I don't think it's their best song, but at the time, I'm sure they were like, fucking A, this is this is what we're doing. This is our middle finger to the world. We're going to make it regardless of what anybody thinks. Uh, it's certainly not a horrible song. I gave it a check. So what I've decided to do is more or less do like a school type average of these albums. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to be attempting to do more or less a statistical evaluation on a band, I need to basically find a way to numerate each album. And what I've decided to do was do an average on each song. Either it's a hundred or a zero. And, uh, if it's, if there's a song that is that warrants a check plus, which is more or less like an iconic song, an iconic song like Dream On was an iconic song, then that brings you up two points, like that's like a two hundred versus a mass song, which kind of just doesn't count. Like if you have a a good a really iconic song, and then have a mass song on the same album. Your 200, one of those 100s takes place of the mass song. Out of this album, I gave it a 75% based on all my checks, check pluses, mass, and minuses. Um, looking to see if this album had any mass. This album did not have any mass. It was all pluses or minuses, and or it was all checks and checks and minuses there was one check plus it got a five out of eight which is a 75 or it got a five out of eight 
but there was bonus points, so it got a 75%. It's a solid C average, no matter what kind of grading system you're on. This was certainly not the worst album I'd ever uh, decided to listen to. Dream On in and of itself is a classic song. And there are some strong, heavy rock tracks throughout the entire album. I just feel like they needed someone to get them away from the weird bullshit. Like, the, there are flutes, there are harmonicas, there are saxophones. I mean, there's just weird shit that doesn't belong on this album. And from my understanding is they got their next... their next Starting with Get, the, get Your Wings, they got a producer who kind of veered them off of weird shit. Um... I don't know. I guess we'll find out when we listen to that now, won't we? There are three songs that I want to point out from each album I review. This, The three songs, in my opinion, that are kind of the key songs of this album. Of course, you're going with Dream On. I think you should go with Mama Kin, and I think you should go with Moving Out. Those are the three strongest songs on this album. So overall, if we're going to go with a band that is... Worth it or not, uh, so far, my ears are peaked. So far, I'm okay with Aerosmith. I'm not going to bitch, moan, or groan about Aerosmith at this juncture because this album was pretty good. It wasn't a classic album, in my opinion. and a cla- Because, in my opinion, a classic album is where at least kind of 75% of it is, is really excellent. This album is is uh it's solid it's a solid debut so uh next week we're going to review a different album by aerosmith uh hopefully you guys will tune in we're going to go ahead and take another small break and you guys can continue to listen or not thanks for listening if you choose to continue is a band called Tempting Fate. That is a song called Questions. 
this is a band that I followed on Twitter. And when I followed them on Twitter, they said, hey, guess what? We have an album for you. If you want to download it, go ahead and download it. Give it a listen. It's not the worst listen I've ever uh, decided to do. It's certainly not the greatest album I've ever heard. But I tell you what, for kind of that uh, new metal type sound, if if you're looking for something that's uh, interesting, go ahead and uh, like them on uh, well, not like them, follow them on Twitter. Maybe you'll get the same, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe you'll get the same courtesy that I got of a free album download. So now we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a look at the billboard top 20. Let me tell you this. Let me start off by, uh, going ahead and, uh, Man, I'm struggling at this point. It's been an hour in, folks, and I'm not used to doing a podcast by myself. Usually I got somebody to kind of stay, kind of like buffer me in in the right area. I'm not a big fan of modern day music. I'm just not. Uh, Like I said, I'm a sucker for torturing myself and forcing myself to stay in touch with what's going on today. My music, I prefer the 70s. But I say that because I like some Black Sabbath and I like some Led Zeppelin. I I find that the number of iconic albums in the 70s that I like really more or less um, is, it, it's it falls more in line with the seventies. The iconic albums of the seventies fall more in line with what I'm into. I just, an album like rumors by Fleetwood Mac. You can't argue with that. An album like uh, black Sabbath's paranoid. You can't argue with that. Zeppelin's fourth album. You can't argue with that. I mean, it's got stairway to heaven for God's sake. Houses of the Holy was in the seventies. The, uh, Bob Dylan's um Bob Dylan's got some good stuff in the 70s. His, one of his classic albums, Blood on the Tracks. That's the name of the album. Uh that that album brings me to tears listening to it. So modern music is not exactly my cup of tea. What I've decided to do was do you guys a favor and listen to the songs so you don't have to and uh give you my opinion on them. The first song that I des- uh, I decided to go ahead and do uh, the top 20, because in my opinion, the top 20, if you're able to listen to the top 20, then you at least have a vibe for what kids are into these days. The 20th song on the countdown, if we're doing this Casey Kasem style, is Calvin Harris featuring John Newman with Blame. This ain't a feeling I can keep, so blame it on the night. Don't blame it on me, don't blame it on me. Blame it on the night. Don't blame it on me, don't blame it on me. Blame it on the night. Don't blame it on me, don't blame it on me. So blame it on the night.
right, much like the previous songs, I decided to do kind of a plus or minus type theme. Um, this song, Blame by Calvin Harris. The production does this weird kind of fade in and out thing in between lines, like when it's where there would be a chorus normally. It kind of does this weird uh, fade in and out thing in between each line. Um, it's really catchy. It's, it's really like it'll get stuck in your head. Um, I'm not a re- real big fan of the weird vocals. In my opinion, the vocals remind me a lot of NXS. I never was a big fan of NXS. Um, uh, it could be worse. It's EDM. I mean, it's total electronic dance music. But uh, it's really earwormy. It will get stuck in your head. I did give it a plus. The next song, number 19 this past week, was Sia with Chandelier. Sia with Chandelier. Uh, I heard her on an interview with Howard Stern not too, too long ago. It's been probably about a month and a half. She has essentially shaped what modern music is. That being said, I don't really get the lyrics. Um, She's also, like, got a weird mental case. She's got, like, uh, paranoid schizophrenia or some, some such nonsense. She's... A wackaloon. Um, because I didn't get the lyrics, it, it kind of took a hit back. I do like the production. I do like her vocals. Her vocals are super strong. Uh, I've never had a difficulty with anything that Sia's done. I know that there was one particular song that Sia was in where I said on my previous podcast, I wish there were more of Sia. And I'm glad that she put out a whole album herself of this style of music. I know that she's kind of eclectic in her own right. Um, If the lyrics had actually made sense to me, I'd probably be all in. I didn't give it a plus or a minus. I gave it kind of a meh wiggly signal. Uh, Just not, not totally my cup of tea, but not a wholly bad song. So we're going to go to number 18, which is Rather Be by Clean Bandit featuring Jess Glynn. Once again, we have another EDM track. They kind of uh, try to disguise it a little bit at first with the the little cello kind of come-ins. It's got a really weird late 80s, early 90s uh, vibe to kind of wake you up. It could be a lot worse than it is. I don't really know if I 
fully like the weird 80s direction that a lot of these songs have been going in nowadays, but I'm not totally opposed to it. It I'm trying to think of who it reminds me of. I don't want to say in vogue, but it's got a weird, like a really weird, like 80s dance type vibe to it. And I guess that's the evolution of things. Like I said, what's like I said previously, what's old is new again. It's just, uh, it's not great, but it ain't the worst thing I've ever heard. Again, you got two mez in a row. So next is, oh, I feel bad for you guys. It's Rich Gang featuring Young Thug and Rich Homie with Lifestyle. She got a month, bitch. I got sisters and brothers to feed. I ain't going out like no idiot. I'm a whole Did a lot of shit just to live this here lifestyle. Can't straight from the bottom to the top of my lifestyle. Wow, so that's something. So look, uh, there's some hip-hop that I like. I really like uh, Lauren Hill's uh, solo, her first solo album. The, uh, the uh, I think it's The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. That's a super strong hip-hop album. <sighs> there's an album that I'm going to review within this podcast that in terms of hip-hop is a super strong album. This is what's wrong with modern day rap hip hop. Um, I can't understand the shit. The guy's voice is horrible. He, he's there's a bunch of filters on the guy's voice. It's gross. It's terrible. If I if I could stay away from this song, I would stay away from it. It's really one of the worst songs I've ever heard, and I'm not bullshitting. It's terrible. It's not good at all. Stay away from lifestyle. It makes me sad. It has me tearing up because people are actually listening to that bullshit. It's not good. It's not good at all. Number 16, which is a little bit better. Uh, needless to say, I give it a minus. Uh, number 16, I did not necessarily give a minus. Let's listen to it first. It's Sam Smith with Stay With Me. Words, but you can lay with me so it doesn't hurt. Oh, won't you stay with me? Cause you're This song is a song that I certainly feel. 
Um, it's a song that I identify with quite a bit because that's how my marriage ended. Needless to say, um, yeah. It's a little much with the weird church chorus behind him, but it's a solid song. It's a super solid song. It's worth listening to. It's worth giving you time to. It reminds me a lot of an artist from the 90s that I know particularly my sister would appreciate me throwing a nod to. Uh, It reminds me a lot of Brian McKnight for some reason. Uh, It's a lot of that similar vocal quality. I feel like I don't know anything about Sam Smith, but I feel like he's a white guy, though. So that's kind of probably throwing my analogy off, but he's not terrible at all. He's a super good singer. Um, I gave it a plus. I like the song. I identified with it. I think in a, in in this day and age, um, doing it that way is definitely the right way to go. So now we're stuck on number 15. So we're going to go ahead and play that for you. It's called I Don't Fuck With You by Big Sean featuring Properties. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't, I don't, I don't give a fuck, bitch. I don't He's give a fuck about you or anything that you do. Don't give a fuck about you or anything that you do. I heard you got a new man. I see you taking the pic. Wow. Then you post it up thinking that it's making me sick. I see you calling. I be making the quick. I'ma answer that shit like I don't fuck with you. Bitch, I got no feelings to go. I swear I had it up to here. I got no feelings to go. I mean, for real. Fuck how you feel. Fuck it too since if it ain't going to the bill, yeah, and every day I wake up celebrating shit. Why? Cause I just dodged the bullet from a crazy bitch. I stuck to my guns, that's what made me rich, that's what put me on, that's what got me so here. That's what that made is me the number 15 song of this countdown. We are not even halfway done with it. This is gonna be a long podcast. I'm sorry, guys. I talk a lot, I've got a lot of wind. Wow, this song sounds so illiterate. Uh, it isn't that I don't identify with the song. I get the song. I've been there. Um, I just said it with the last song. I've been there with my ex-wife. It's a big, big middle finger to an ex who screwed with his head. Uh, and like I said, dude, I get it. Um, it's just with music, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be so direct and spell it out on the line. A lot of sometimes subtlety is the way to go, and sometimes the more creative you are, the more subtlety there is, and kind of more nodding to things and less direct uh, admission of things. I guess you would say. Um, it just wasn't my cup of tea. I'm sorry, guys. This did nothing for me. Uh, Again, it's probably just because it was so, like, uh, forced out there, like, so obvious. I gave it a giant minus. It just did not feel creative to me in any way, shape, or form. So now we're going to go to the number 14 song on the countdown. Number 14 is Jason Derulo with Trumpets. Yeah, the drums, they swing low. And the trumpets, they go And they playin' for you, girl And the trumpets, they go Angels 
All right, so this song, um, yeah, Ugh. oof. I hear a lot of auto tune in this song. Um, he said symphony as like two words. I think he said like symphony, and I just wasn't feeling it. Um, there are a couple guys in this modern day and age that I just don't understand. One of them happens to be Drake who I made an allusion to when I originally was going to do this podcast. Another guy I don't get is Jason Derulo. I know he's one of the hot artists in this modern day. I just don't understand it. And maybe it's just me, but I don't find anything appealing about the guy's voice. I feel like it's drenched in auto-tune. I feel like I hear auto-tune all throughout it on this guy's voice. And does nothing for me, guys. Once again, I'm sorry. Just not my cup of tea. The next song at number 13 is an artist that I highly respect, and that is Taylor Swift with Blank Space. So at first when I listen to this song, and I'm a I like some Taylor Swift. I have her last couple of albums. I have Red and I have the album before it. Um I can't remember what the hell the album's called, but it's more country rooted than even Red and then this new album, 1989. Um at first, I didn't even realize it was Taylor Swift. Uh, I should have. I mean, I'm I I'm at times dense, but I'm not that dense to where usually I can't kind of immediately pick up a vocalist's vocals. One thing that you'll notice if you listen to this album, and if you haven't downloaded the album or found the album, find it because uh, it's worth a listen. Uh, it's got a very mid to late '80s sound. It really the album's called 1989, and I'll tell you what if it it if it doesn't sound like it was immediately recorded and if she didn't find a time machine and record it in '89, it would be surprising. Uh, it really fits in though with the modern pop so- pop scene, which really kind of seems focused in that mid to late '80s sound. I have not listened to the entire album. I have it, but I have not listened to it. And uh, I tell you what, I'm very intrigued. If it all sounds like this, I'm very intrigued by the album. She's done a really super job of going from the modern country sound and morphing it into modern pop. And uh, she's a very smart chick. And she's well worth the number 13 song. Now, spoiler alert, if I decide to continue on this path next week, this song is the number one song. Um, I'm going to have to figure some shit out when I do uh, my next podcast. But uh, I gave this song a plus. I really enjoyed this song. And uh, it's not just because I like Taylor Swift. And I do really like Taylor Swift. But uh, this is a solid song especially 
for modern airplay type songs. Um, it's well worth its spot. The next song is song number 12, Ed Sheeran with Don't. Really looking for another mistake. I called an old friend thinking that the trouble would wait. But then I jumped right in a week later, returned. I reckon she was only looking for a lover to burn. But I gave her my time for two or three nights. Then I put it on pause until the moment was right. I went away four months until I passed crossed again. She told me I was never looking for a friend. Maybe you could swing by my room around ten. Maybe bring the lemon. So here is my experience with Ed Sheeran. Uh, my last podcast that I used to do, I was supposed to listen to his whole album, so I have his whole album here somewhere. I should probably give it a listen. This is the only guy I've ever heard who sings with his British accent. The only time I remember a performance by the guy, I know he's like a ginger, red-haired kid. Uh, he did uh, In My Life, which in my opinion is my favorite Beatles song. I love pretty much any version of that song. He did it kind of a sped up version of it on that uh, weird Beatles anniversary on CBS that they did with Paul and Ringo in attendance. He did a pretty good job. I can't argue with the job he did. He did a solid job. He didn't do the best, but he certainly didn't do the worst. Um, This song is interesting because I would call it almost like folk hip hop type style, like folk rap pop thing it does have a very taylor swift vibe that's probably the reason why taylor swift took the guy out on tour with her this is a song i don't want to like but i do i gave it a plus sign i felt that this song was not definitely not the worst song i'd ever heard so yeah it was not the it was not terrible it was worth listening to like i said i should probably give the guy a solid listen to his album all right We're almost at our halfway point. Here's song number 11. It's another Sam Smith song. And it's called I'm Not the Only One. You and me, we made a vow. So again, um, he really reminds me of Brian McKnight, especially with this kind of a song. I said, oof. I mean, this one makes me hurt. Uh, I've so been there with this song and its contents. I really kind of like the simple, nostalgic crooner feeling that he gives me. Uh, I gave it a plus just because I, I identified so much with the song and I didn't feel that the song was the worst song that I'd ever heard. I didn't, uh, I think I've reviewed it before for a previous podcast. Uh, I liked it. It was a good song. It was a solid song. Like I said, I identified with it quite a bit. I think most dudes who have been in relationships would identify with this song. So I gave it a plus. Now, number 10. It's, I guess it's Jeremy featuring YG and it's Don't Tell Him. I guess that must be you. Body like the 
So here we go with another kind of uh, modern hip-hop electronic dance music type track. There are other songs on this countdown that are worse. Um, It's definitely more hip-hop than it is rap because it's more danceable. I can see people dancing in a club to it. And it's it's catchy. It's, It's as catchy as it is danceable. I gave it a plus. I did not kind of like the nods to rhythm as a dancer because I didn't feel they were necessarily uh, in uh, they were necessarily kind of uh, I can't remember the word I'm looking for they were disingenuous is what they were uh, it was like throwing a nod without throwing a nod it's almost like they took the song they sampled it they slowed the sample down and they just wanted to throw a nod out there to it but I still give it a plus because it's still very catchy and very danceable. So now we're going to move on to the next song, which is song number nine on the countdown. We're both down a plate and somehow you go astray We went from nothing to something Liking to loving It was us against the world And now we just fucking It's like I loved you so much and now I just hate you Feeling stupid for all the time that I gave you I wanted all or nothing for us Ain't no place And that's Iggy Azalea featuring Rita Ora with Black Widow I felt like this song was written maybe for Katy Perry to be the accompanying vocalist Um, I I had a hard I have a hard time believing that Iggy Azalea is British. Uh she she's a white girl with blonde hair. She blacks she she raps like a black girl. Um I don't know, it seems like it's influenced by a, a rapper named Eve a lot. And again, I get a disingenuous feel to it. It is a catchy song. I do think that Iggy's popularity is extremely short sighted. I don't think she'll be around for a second album and if she's around for a second album i don't think you'll see a third out of her i did give it a plus i just feel like uh i don't know i feel i feel like she's a fake just my opinion so now we're going to go to the number eight song which is a song by a band called hosier with take me to church
my opinion of this song. Uh, the tone, in my opinion, is very much like... Uh, it reminds me a lot of House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. I feel like they're trying too hard, and it feels almost desperate with all the references to religion. I think that we're at a time and a place where we don't need so much kind of religious allegory. Um, it's not the worst song it's just, like I said, with all that religious kind of focus to it, it feels super desperate. I gave the song a minus. It's not that it isn't a catchy song. It just sounds like a desperate song. And because it's so desperate, I, I felt like, ah, I'm out. So now we're going to go ahead and go to this song number seven. So number seven, that is Ariana Grande featuring The Weeknd with Love Me Harder. Um, my review of this song is that it's got EDM all over it. She does have a great voice, though, especially for this kind of uh, pop music that we're seeing pop up all over the place that's more or less rooted in dance music than it is uh, in pop i guess you would say more than bubblegum it's more dance than it is bubblegum the weekend doesn't detract uh vulgarly vulgar vulgarly <laughs> with any vulgarity the weekend does not interrupt this song wow that was a holy fucked up pronunciation uh it all kind of fits and works and i'm okay with this song i gave it a plus uh, I cannot uh, cannot necessarily fight on this song because it's just not a terrible song. It's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good for those of you who view Curb Your Enthusiasm. Now we're going to go ahead to the number six song, and this is another song I don't feel so great with. It's called number six, Hot Boy, Hot Nigga by Bobby Shamuda. And if you ain't a hoe, get up on my trap house. I've been selling classes like the fifth grade. Really never made no difference with the shit made. Jaja told me flip them packs and how to maintain. Get that money back and spend it on the same thing. Shorty like the way that I ball out. I be getting money time fall out. You talking cash, dog, I go all out. Shorty love the way that I flow out. Free greasy them, let all of my dogs out. <sighs> you know, I'm so out on these types of songs. Uh, it's a song where it's like I'm hard because I've been in jail. I want to be in jail type deal. The vocals are shitty. It's mid-grade talent. It's more the production than it is the vocalist. Uh, if the guy were as talented as Busta Rhymes, I'd be okay with him. But he's not. It's like lazy Lil Wayne-esque rapping. I'm not trying to say Lil Wayne doesn't have a place in the market. He does. This guy is trying to be up on the same grocery store, grocery store shelf. And it's fucking 
terrible. I gave it, needless to say, a super, super minus. So now we're going to go to the next song on the charts, which is number five. And it's called Bang Bang by Jesse J, Ariana Grande, and Nicki Minaj. Like every 10 years, we have a song like this where it's like a bunch of chicks get together and they're like, we're going to put on the next uh, XYZ huge song that is going to just take over the nation. It's definitely like the next Lady Marmalade that uh, Christina Aguilera and Maya and those other uh, Pink was part of that song, too. Um, I think it was, uh, shit. It was Lil' Kim, maybe, that was the rapper in it. I feel like this is the equivalent of that 10 years later, or 20 years later, even. It's very catchy. Um, there's great production to it. Again, Ariana Grande's voice is great. Jesse J is great in the song. Nicki Minaj is Nicki Minaj and doesn't disappoint. If you're into that sort of thing or not, I happen to be into Nicki Minaj. Um, I feel like Ariana Grande at points is the weakest link in the song, but she's not weak at all. It's a solid earworm. Once it gets stuck in your head, it, it will be stuck in your head. But I do feel like the one person who steals the show in the song is Nicki Minaj. It's a good song. It's a solid song. I gave it a plus. So now we will move on to song number four, which is by someone named Tovlo. Ah, shit. I just fucked that up. Um, and it's called Habits Stay High. And here's what it sounds like. Go to sleep. This is a song like the Hozier song that I feel like it sounds super desperate with the specifically with like the drug allegory. However, this song is another song that I feel. I didn't feel the Hozier song. I feel this song. Um, the only disappointment that I have in this song is that it more or less kind of feels like uh, 
a record label seeing the storm that was Lord kind of pull ahead of the pack and someone said you know what Lord is the hottest thing since Adele we gotta find our Lord and I feel like they did with uh Tovlo it's not a bad song at all it just feels a little desperate with the drug references that's all uh it is a solid pop song I gave this song a plus again it's all kind of uh it it's less objective and more subjective and subjectively i felt this song um uh my ex-wife is a a recovering drug addict and i felt like this song reminded me of the the pain dealing with that whole situation to to a degree um so i gave it a plus i mean i if i can relate to it why shouldn't i give it a, a plus you know what i mean But we're going to go to the number three song, which is Maroon 5 with a song called Animals. Just like animals, animals like animals, moles. Maybe you think that you can hide. I can smell yourself from miles. Just like animals, animals like animals, moles. Baby, I'm So what you trying to do to me? It's like we can't stop. We're animals. So here's where I'm at with Maroon 5. It pains me to say it. I do like this song, and I did give this song a plus. I want to say that Maroon 5 is this generation's of Sugar Ray, where you kind of get used to a style by them, and then they throw out a totally weaker style the next album. I feel like they're degenerating by each album, and eventually you'll just see Adam Levine's solo shit. Um... They kind of took the exact opposite approach that the Foo Fighters took. The Foo Fighters just put out music that people like, and they don't give a shit if, you, if you're going to like it or not. If you do like it, then you're going to be so into the Foo Fighters that you will be brainwashed and buy everything Foo Fighters. Whereas Maroon 5 are essentially this generation's Bee Gees. They're putting out music that everybody likes, and they are purposefully writing songs that will sell them albums. It's not a bad way to go. It's going to make you money, especially in this day and age where people are more and more often finding free ways to get music. But if you can pull up Maroon 5 and get a hot song hot real quick, uh, that's not a bad way to do it in the music industry. I It's worked for everybody from fucking Leaf Cassidy to David Cassidy to et cetera, et cetera. I don't even know another one-hit wonder. Right said Fred maybe even. Uh, or the Macarena guys. You know, they made a mint on one shitty song. Um For me, a lot of Maroon 5 has a disco beat to it. This song doesn't necessarily have that disco beat. It's definitely kind of a catchy dance song, though. Uh, It's worth its salt in this countdown, considering its composition. I really think, though, that we're going to see Adam Levine solo in a few years. Uh, It's just, this song doesn't feel like a band collaboration so much, especially when you take into consideration Maroon 5's earlier band material. 
it, this feels like a one-way show. Not a bad thing. That's kind of just how it is. So now we're going to move from the number three song to the number two song, which I'm sure you've heard by this point. It's called All About That Bass by Megan Trainer. Just raise them up, cause every inch of you is perfect from the bottom to the top. Yeah, my mama, she told me, don't worry about your size. She says, boys like a little more booty to hold and knife. And no, I won't be no stick figure, silicone Barbie doll. So if that's what you're in. So here's where I'm at with this song, in case you guys cared, which you probably don't at this point because you're like, Jesus Christ, I've been listening for almost two hours and this guy doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he's just giving his opinions. Well, fuck you, you downloaded it, listen to it. Um, I feel like this is a one-hit wonder. I don't think Megan Trainer is going to have much of a career after this song. I can see where she's going with it. I mean, it's going to appeal to a lot of chicks with a big ass, but that's only going to last so long. Homegirl, I appreciate the style of your voice. I appreciate kind of an old school feel to the song. But, dude, if you don't find something quick, this is going to be your only hit, and then you'll be retired. Uh, I gave it a minus just because, in my opinion, it's a one-hit wonder. And now, we are going to the number one song on the countdown. And if you didn't miss my spiel on Taylor Swift, uh, or if you did miss it, you should go back and rewind it a couple tracks because I totally gave you my opinion on Taylor Swift. This is Taylor Swift again with Shake It Off. So, look, Taylor Swift writes her own shit. She writes her own music. She plays her own instruments. She performs live. She is a solid all-around artist. Here's this song, Shake It Off. It's a giant fuck-off to her critics. That's what I'm getting by the lyrics. She's like, you guys are expecting me to write about an ex... Well, guess what? I'm going to write about you and criticize this, MFers. Uh, it's good shit. It's good for Taylor Swift. It's good for her to kind of get that kind of unproductive, per- uh, that kind of unproductive criticism out of her system. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm probably one of the few people that appreciate it. I'm probably one of the few people that 
see it for what it is. But at the same time, I mean, I'm waiting for a giant backlash against Taylor Swift at this juncture. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Homegirl has sold the most albums in a modern day setting. You can't argue with that. She's got a voice that's gone away from country and more into pop. Her music is totally pop and less country. I give all my my due creditation to Taylor Swift. She is the modern day ruler of the charts, justly so, might I add. So uh, she's totally deserving the number one spot, in my opinion. She's putting out some of the best pop music that is available today, and that's disregarding any potential country songs she might have in the oven. I doubt you'll be hearing anything country-specific from her for quite some time since she has now mastered the crossover. I am going to go ahead and take yet another break, and we are going to come back with the last segment, which is a review of one of the top 500 albums off of the Rolling Stone top 100 or top 500 excuse me albums of all time but first we're going to play a little bit of queen's headlong thank you guys again for listening and you're rushing headlong you got a new go and you're rushing headlong out of control and you think you're so strong but there ain't no stopping and there's nothing you can do about
Once again, that was Queen with Headlong, and uh, I thank you guys very much for listening. We're about to start with our last segment of the podcast. If you notice, we've got several spots where I'm just playing music. If you would like to start some advertising for an independent company and want to make your money mine, please give me a drop on Twitter. I am at WizOz, and that's at W-I-Z-O-O-Z-Z on Twitter. You can follow me. You can send me a DM if you have sponsorship ability and we'll figure out some kind of payment for you. Or you can send me an email at woosmysterybox at gmail.com. And uh, again, once again, we can take care of business that way through emails if you'd like. Uh we'll just have to figure shit out and uh hopefully if this catches on any steam you'll see some kind of increase in business because of my abilities to podcast or lack thereof so the next segment is to go ahead and take a random look at the rolling stone top 500 albums of all time let me get you started with what I, uh, I don't know. I just, one of the, one day I came across the list of the top 500 albums of all time. And I said, you know what? I want to be a little bit more expansive with my musical tastes. Maybe I should at the very least start exploring this list. And I said, what easier way for me to explore this list than to subject the listeners of a podcast to my reviews of an album and the first album that's on the list is album number 500, which is Outcast with Aquamanai. And this specific album, or Aquamanai, that's what it's called. I guess that's the proper pronunciation. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Outcast. Uh, I am mostly familiar with them for when they were topping the charts with uh, songs off of their last significant album which was uh the love below and there was some other it was a double album and it was uh big boy has an album that was uh more forgettable than andre's album andre was the love below uh i think it had hey ya on it was the big hit and this album i was not anticipating much what i decided to do I wanted to make this a little bit different from the other segments. What I wanted to do was more or less call uh, a super positive and a super negative review of an album, kind of go over my whole review of the album, 
not track by track, because I figure you guys have heard enough of me bullshitting on individual songs, but more or less me give you a positive review, a negative review, my review, and then three key tracks of an album, and then close out the show. I've already given you guys uh, some closing material, but eh, fuck it, we'll reclose it. So what I did was I went ahead and, and brought along a super positive review. It's by a guy named David Levi, and he gives the album a five-star review. And he says, it, and it's titled Unreal 5+. And this is what he says. Outcast is done for hip-hop what Radiohead did for rock, if you can even still call it that, with OK Computer. Listen, Wu-Tang is amazing. The roots are brilliant. Most deaf, Snoop, Dre, Nasty Nas, uh, Busta, Talib, Beasties, Goody Mob, Gangstar. There's a lot of great artists in hip-hop today. But Outkast shines above them all. Their message couldn't have been more on point. Their rhymes and delivery aren't even human and must be something they picked up on the outer, reach, out, on the outer reaches of the galaxy. On And it's uh, I guess it's Atlians or Atlanteans. Uh, it's A.T. Leans, and the production, sorry Riza, is the best in the business. Also, look at what they get out of their guests. Ray on sh- on skew, uh, oh my god, Ray on skew it on the bar- Ray on skew it on the Barbie. I've never heard anything that can match that style. And how about George Clinton on synthesizer? But even Big Boy, who is incredible, can't touch Andre. On Return of the Gangsta, Rosa Parks, Skewit, Synthesizer, and The Art of Storytelling Parts 1 and 2. He's just, whatever. I can't even find a superlative that does him justice by the album. It doesn't get any better than this. Again, that's a five-star album review on Amazon by david levi but it's from the year 2000 it's april 15 2000 so that's quite some time ago now the next one is from 2008 so that's eight this is eight years later to digest the album and it's a guy named c bridge bridge photographer north from north palm beach i'm assuming that's florida i don't fucking know i'm the worst um It says, this jumbly-wombly babble is not really music, more angry poetry set to the copycat, unimaginative, same old cadence of modern rap music, whose main message is always violent and anti-beauty and art. I did want to listen to it because someone recommended it. Keep an open mind, you know, but I think music really needs to get past this stage. It's great as a musical experiment, but I'm hoping society can move forward into the future with better genres than this. If everybody listens to this junk, then our prisons will end up filled by the brainwashed. But that's only my opinion, so please don't come shoot me. Have a nice day. So those were two reviews of this album. I have my own review of this album. My understanding of this album per the Wikipedia article, is that it's a two-part album that's essentially dissecting male black culture at the time. It kind of pokes in the street cred, which is kind of that, uh, you ain't been to jail, so you ain't shit, versus you've been to jail, oh shit, I'm listening to you. 
and kind of raising your kids if you have kids. Um, and it even calls back to Rosa Parks in the title of one of its songs, which is evident by that one review that we read. What I focused on was less on the subject matter and more on the sound. I didn't expect much, but then again, I'm not a huge rap guy. I do like some rap, but I'm not a huge rap guy. I I essentially stick to more or less classic rap albums. And when I read some reviews on this album, read, read more on the album, I was like, well, you know what? This album is basically considered a classic rap album. What I do have to say is that what I got by listening to this album, it's rich. It's rich in great sounds. The beats are kind of hooky, and uh, the the rhymes are slick. I mean, uh, Big Boy and Andre have been commended by some of the highest rap, uh, some of the rap artists that are kind of the the big sellers of the day, and uh, you can't argue with the guy with the way that these guys flow. They're really solid. What I ended up grading this album. I graded it on a one to five, five being the best, one being the worst. And I gave it a 3.5 for not being a rap guy. I really found the music enjoyable. The pieces all fit together to make something wholly listenable. Uh, you can't, it's a strong song. It's not the worst song I've ever heard. It's not the best or it's not the worst album. I'm sorry. I've ever heard. It's not the the worst. It, it's not the best album I've ever heard. It may be, as of this point, the best rap album I've ever heard. But then again, I don't really listen to many full-on rap albums. Um, so I'm, what I'm going to do is just like the previous album review. I'm going to give you three key tracks to this album. The first. Out, the first track that I think you guys should really pay focus to is song number two, which is called Return of the G. I don't think you can really hear it from what I played on there, but I will tell you this much. There's a very huge kind of uh, tapestry in terms of songs that they are in, in terms of the production value. I mean, it's, uh, I didn't check to see if the roots did the music to it, but I tell you what there, it sounds like it's real music. What people argue about real music. It, It sounds really good. The second track that I wanted to highlight was Aquamini, which is track number five. Like that man, me and my nigga we rolled together like Batman and Robin. We prayed together through hard times, swung hard, but it was fitting. But now we tapping the brakes from off them corners that we be bending. And Volkswagen and Bonnevilles, Chevrolets and Coupevilles. If you ain't got no rims, nigga, don't get no wood grain steering wheel for real. You can go chill out of steel wheel. Let's paper stack instead of going to old key. Once again, I mean, you you can hear it right there. You can hear a lot of uh, that Lauryn Hill style of hip-hop that I like. I actually like that style of hip-hop. I'm not huge... Again, I'm not a huge hip-hop fan, but that is the stuff that really kind of 
that's the stuff that really more or less uh, tickles my fancy is the stuff that sounds good. The stuff that really has like a, a melody to it. That's not all beat. There's, there's more substance to it. And then the next track is track number 10, which is the art of storytelling part two. No, until it's on ya. I put that on my door, but from a town to California, all the weeds smell like ammonia, but at the dungeon, I know they're smoking. Writing the raps and doing the beats to make the slash recording. Fuck abortion. I got in the booth to run the final portion. The beat was very dirty and the vocals had this store. Shine, 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 and this song more or less kind of uh, is exactly what the album is as a whole. This song specifically more or less is just a jumble of sounds. And you don't think that it should make sense the way that it does, but it totally does. It's not a bad song at all. As a matter of fact, it's a super good song. And uh, it, at, like I said, I, at a, as a whole, this this album is not a waste of time. I'd give the album as a whole a plus rather than a minus. It's well worth your time. Give it a listen if you can. Find it on Spotify if you go that cheap-ass way of doing things. If you can find it uh, on the internet, download it. Look for it on iTunes or Amazon. Buy it. It's worth the buy, in my opinion. Solid outing by Outcast. Can't argue with it. So with that, I am going to go ahead and put this show to a close. We're about two hours in. Thank you guys for hanging on for two hours. Uh, it's only two hours, so... It's only going to be once a week, if that. But you can, again, find me on Twitter at WizzoOz. That's at W-I-Z-O-O-Z-Z. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, it's John Wooten, and I am the one with a moldy onion uh, as one of my pictures. The other picture is me with my two children's. We take up the entire photograph so if that's what you find, then that's what you get. You got me. You can like me, follow me, etc., etc. Uh, that's all I got to say, guys. I'm going to go ahead and leave you with the cover of Moving Out that I like so bad. It's by a band called Fireball Ministry. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you hopefully next week. We all live on the edge of town Where we all live ain't a soul around People start coming, all we do is just a grin Said we gotta move it out Cause the city's moving I said we gotta move it out Cause the city's moving in Tell me who you know and I'll tell you who to Go see my friend and he'll set you free Tell me what you need and maybe I can go too No one knows the way but maybe me Nobody goes there, nobody shows where Nobody knows where you can find me
start our coming on. We do it's just a grin. Say we gotta move it out, cause the city's moving in. I said we gotta move it out, cause the city's moving in.